0: I am thrilled to be able to give you an update on our Take to Give offering. Oh, yes, we've been doing this over the past month. If you're unfamiliar with Take to Give, it's our special offering we started to receive to help scholarship our middle school and high school students to Every Nation Youth Camp this summer in Glorieta, New Mexico. And we asked for $80,000 to be able to fully scholarship 120 kids and 20 counselors on three buses all the way there. That was like a record amount. We've never even tried that before, but we said, hey, that's our dream. Would you participate with us in that? So again, we asked for $80,000, and I don't even know what to say because this church went so far above and beyond that. We didn't just receive $80,000, not even ninety. dollars not even one hundred dollars not even one hundred ten dollars We received a total of $121,000, $787.86. This is... Amazing, this is amazing, it's actually, it's incredible, it's going to help us do a couple of things, recover some overages from last year, thank you very much, and start a seed starter kit for our finances for next year. If you registered your kid, that $50 fee is non-refundable, but the rest of it is fully paid for. Your kids are good to go. So yes, if you have fully paid everything else, our team will be in touch with you to see what you like to do with your balance. All right. Here we go. Actually, would you do this with me? Let's mix it up. Let's stand on our feet, if you would, for the reading of God's Word from Ephesians chapter 1. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. In order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. It's the reading of his word, all his people said today. Amen, amen. Thank you. May Be seated. You know, over the past uh, few weeks, I saw a few not-so-great things in the news, which you also may have seen. First, there was this bombshell report released about a major branch of the Christian church. detailed thousands of horrifying interactions between church leaders and children over multiple decades. It was in Chicago. It was how this particular church maneuvered to protect those abusers. The second thing I saw was the promotion of a brand new TV series. It's coming. It's all about a series of scandals that happened in a big popular church on the other side of the world. On top of that, over the past year and a half, perhaps the number one podcast on Apple Podcasts is all about the rise and fall of a particular church here in the U.S. It's about abuses of power, abuses Uh, platform and one of the largest global denominations in Christian history, despite having stood against slavery in the 18th century and sparked revival in the 19th century, just voted to divide themselves here. In the 21st, I could, as we all know, go on. And yet, here in a letter to the people in the ancient city of Ephesus, Paul, the apostle, in chains and writing from prison. He has the gall and the audacity to write these words. Ephesians 1.22. And God placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. What's that, Paul? The fullness of Jesus. The fullness of the perfect God, man, is in his church. Like, the fullness of Jesus is in us today. hmm? Like, also perhaps in Roman Catholics, in the Greek Orthodox Church, church and Southern Baptists and Methodists and Mainlines and megachurches and Charismatics and Quakers and church plants, large and small, and in people like you and me and us and Mosaic. Really, all of Jesus is in all of us. I'm not so sure that's true. And as I studied this passage this past week, And I thought about all that news and more. In light of all of this claim here, I literally put down my head, my office, and I wept. I wept as I thought about the contrast. I mean, how can this be true? Could we say we are the fullness of Christ in our day? Now, before you answer. Let me ask you this. How could Paul in his day ask this? How could he look out at this church, a church still struggling with idol worship and greed and infighting, and say, you are the fullness of Christ, and through you, Christ will fill everything in every way? How could he say that to this church here in Ephesus when the epicenter of Greek polytheism, the statue, the temple of Artemis the Great. One of the seven wonders of the ancient world was still standing in the city as he wrote these words with pen and parchment. I mean, idol worship and loyalty to Artemis was so great in Ephesus that when the Roman emperor of the day named Tiberius, when he was considering where to build a temple to honor himself. Tiberius picked up the phone and he called Ephesus and Ephesus said, "Hey." We'd like to actually ask you to build your temple in here. And he thought about it and he said, actually, no, I'm not going to build it. They said, why? He said, I can't compete with the extent of Artemis worship. Tiberius said, there's no room for me in your city, Ephesians. One commentator put it like this. He said, the city was judged fully occupied by Artemis. In other words... The fullness of Artemis filled everything in every way. The fullness of her temple, the fullness of her presence, the fullness of Artemis' influence filled Ephesus in every way imaginable. Even the emperor couldn't get a foothold there. No wonder the people in the city rioted at one point. When Paul and the Christians came in and Paul, he was in the business of insisting Jesus wanted to fill the city in every way with his presence, but the people of Ephesus said, no, the fullness of Artemis' presence fills us. So how could Paul say what he said? Well, he could say it not because it had happened, but because it was happening. As the church in Ephesus began to be filled with the fullness of Christ, the city began to be filled as well. And history shows us as the years passed, after Paul wrote this, though once upon a time, not even the Roman emperor Tiberius could get his foothold there and fill the city. Somehow the church of Jesus did. History shows that person after person after person came to faith in Christ. They let go of their darkness. They let go of their idol worship. And the church grew to such an extent that even Mary, the mother of Jesus, spent her last days in this church. John the Beloved, before his exile, spent his time there. And Timothy, Paul's greatest disciple, pastored the church there. And within a few centuries, the Christian faith became the faith of the city and the temple of Artemis was destroyed and never rebuilt. See, the church in Ephesus became the church of all first century churches. It filled the city in every way. How did this happen? How did the church in Ephesus do this? How did the fullness of Christ come to fill this church and this city? And how can it do the same today for us? Well, it happened then and can happen again through one man's impossible prayer. Paul, the apostle, prayed this verse 15 he said for this reason ever since I heard about yours is always plural your faith in Christ and your love for Jesus your love for all God's people I haven't stopped giving thanks for you I remember you in my prayers I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the glorious father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better and then Paul wrote this I pray at the eyes of your heart May be enlightened. See, he begins his prayer by asking him to imagine something. That's what this phrase means in the Greek. Eyes of the heart. It means your imagination. Paul says, I pray that you could imagine something with me. I think, I think in a way Ephesians 1. This is Paul the Apostle's, I have a dream speech. This year, of course, marks the 60th anniversary of that speech on the steps of the Washington Monument years ago in our nation's capital. Austin's doing a little memorial thing for it. We'll be a part of that. And people love that speech and they should love it for all kinds of reasons. But here's why I love Dr. King's speech. Because as much I think as the speech was Dr. King's dream, it was also Dr. King's prayer. August 28th, 1963, he prayed for the soul of our nation. He was praying people could see something, dream about something they weren't seeing right in front of them. He was praying people could see their cities and their country and their families filled with love and justice and equality. He was praying for the eyes of their heart then and our imagination still today to be enlightened, to be illuminated in order to dislodge temples, of racism and classism, to pull down darkness. Dr. King prayed a dream over a city and a people and a nation. And Paul's doing the same thing here only 19 centuries ahead of time. He's praying his dream for Ephesus and for us. And as he does so, we're going to see right now, he gives us the resources of the heart we need to pull down temples in our day, break down walls, defeat dark powers, Change the city from the inside out. This is what Paul prayed his friends would dream about in order to be filled with the fullness of Christ. Verse 18, I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. that you may know three things he says. The hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power, For us who believe. So, how can we, is my question, be the people of Jesus who experience his fullness in every way? Again, three resources of the heart were given. Let's see them in turn. First, Paul says, I pray you be able to see and know the hope to which he's called you. Now, This at first doesn't seem like a really big deal. Why would he say hope is something that can actually change a city? It doesn't seem like a big deal. Why not? Well, it's because when we use the word hope, probably when you use the word hope, it's a wishy-washy word. Emphasis on the wishy part. In English, hope and wish, basically the same thing. Like, hope you have a good day. Like crossing our fingers, maybe they will, maybe they won't. Or like. Some of you said last week, man, I hope she graduates, you know? <laughs> kind of a wish, or he graduates, uh, I hope I win the lottery, and here's my wish, with my friend Joshua in the front row, I hope the Texas Rangers win the World Series, you know, like. I got booed in first service when I said that. House divided against itself can't stand. My point is these are all wishes with degrees of likeliness, or in the case of my wish, unlikeliness of actually coming true. But that's not Bible hope. That's not Paul's hope. What did hope mean for Paul? Follow this. Please, please take a look. So for Paul, one commentator said, hope was important and entailed a firm set of convictions about certain events that would happen at the end of time, and what the implications of these events were for believers. Some of these key events include the resurrection of the dead and glorified bodies, the second coming of Christ, and the day of the Lord. Knowing the future, excuse me, knowing the truth about the future and one's place in these events provides In Paul's estimation, great comfort for coping with the difficulties, injustices, and trials of the present. Paul is praying precisely that the Ephesians will have a firm awareness of this future hope. All right? See, Paul is trying to tell us all as loudly as we can hear it that what you believe about the future impacts your life right now. And I know this is true. That's actually a true statement because I know this is true from what used to happen at our dinner table every night when our big kids were now big, used to be little kids, every single night at the dinner table, dinner magically appeared on the table. So you know this is true. Kids are like, we don't know where it comes from. It's like magic. Magic dinner would appear before four hungry little people every night. And because Carrie and I are loving parents, we placed on our children's plates not just one, but sometimes two vegetable options. And every night, one single question was asked. If I eat my vegetables, will there be, come on, dessert? Yes. And if the answer to that question was yes, you young man, you young woman of God, there will be dessert awaiting you. There is a glorious, sugar-drenched future awaiting you. If the answer to that question is yes, then now suddenly that child who could not be forced to get down a a carrot or a leaf without the threat of choking or vomiting or gagging can now suddenly figure out how to get a solitary carrot down. Why? (laughs) Because humans are unavoidably hope-based creatures. Our belief in the future impacts and shapes our actions and our emotions. In the present. And Paul says, I want you to know that God has picked up the smartphone of heaven and called you into his glorious future and plan. He says, I pray you never give up hope because God has plan for history. So in light of that, I want to tell you something today, Mosaic Church online in the room, that no matter what happens in our nation, in the world, in history, no matter what happens in an upcoming election, whether it's good or bad, and if it is or not, No matter what it may seem, that in no way diminishes the truth that there will be a day of the Lord where everyone's everything will be exposed and brought to light. No one will get away with nothing. That's either good news or bad news for you. You can have hope in that. And I want you to know, as much as your body may betray you or your child's body may betray you, that in no way diminishes the truth that one day for those who follow Jesus, they will get a new body. it will be new heavens and a new earth. Every tear will be wiped away from your pain now. You can have hope in that. And I want you to know, as Martin Luther sang and said, that though this world with devils, Filled, may threaten to undo us. We will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. So I pray you would know today, church, the hope, the confidence of the great plan for human history God has called us into, if you know Jesus. Yeah, and here's why. Here's why this is so much better than having hope in the, your finances, or hope in your health, or hope in the stock market. Those can all vanish in an instant, but this is a hope not even the death camps of this world can take away oh can you can you see it is your imagination maybe shifting a little bit right a little light poking into your heart I'm about the hope god's got for you see if if you see it i want to tell you you'll be less anxious less worried less prone to hold on to grudges so would you just pray this perhaps if you're losing up god would you open my eyes To see the hope you have for me. Real hope changes people's lives. It can change a city. Not only that, Paul prays second, second resource of our heart here. He prays we would also know the riches of his glorious, God's glorious inheritance in his holy people. What's this? Again, our second resource. Well, in a way, the second resource is the answer to this question What do you get the guy who has everything? What do you get the girl who's got it all? I mean, think about it, think about it. Follow me. If you were invited to Jeff Bezos' birthday, okay, what would you get him? What were you, where are you going to bring him? Like, he's a multi-billionaire. And on top of that, most of your stuff used to be his stuff, right? Like, you bought your stuff. From him. So what are you going to give him? Are you going to like order him something off his own website? <laughs> what do you get for the person who has everything? Now, now think about God. If God is real and he is, then Jeff Bezos' net worth is worth less than a speck of dust in the back of God's sofa cushions. What kind of inheritance, gift could possibly mean something to God? Are you ready? You know what could mean something to him? Here it is you 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 mean something Ah, i and most of all we mean something to him because about the only priceless possession that you could ever get like a a a bezos or a billionaire that he or she doesn't have is a priceless work of art that's about the only gift you could give that could mean something like a picasso or a, a dolly or a van gogh or the mona lisa i mean like that might mean something to them why Because the the Mona Lisa, in a way, is a a one-of-a-kind thing and worth not just millions, but it's worth meaning, meaning. And that's what Paul says we are to God. But far more, we are his glorious inheritance. And Paul prays we would get a sense, a taste of how rich that really is. God, he prays, open their eyes, let him dream a little bit about how much they are worth. Let him see the priceless painting. Back on Easter, some of you were here and we saw the video of our, our friend Omo Musa. I don't know if Omo's in this service today. Is he here? Is he? Yes, I'm here at KidCon this week. He's a formerly Muslim man who, who his wife prayed for him for years to know Jesus. He had a near-death experience, encountered the presence of God in a dream. He wakes up, he, he feels regret for not having given his life to Christ. He falls to his knees in the closet, I believe it was, in the dark at 3 a.m., surrendered his life to Christ. It's an amazing story. When I heard that, I experienced it again. The riches of God in people. I saw the painting when we came together again this past month for our next generation. We didn't just give 80 grand, come on, 120K putting money in the bank for next year. When I heard that number, I felt it again. The riches, not in money, but in love, in vision. Last year, when Texas Oaks Baptist Church gifted Mosaic, its debt-free facility and eight acres of land and a real estate market gone mad to start Mosaic South, I felt it again. The riches in God's people. One psychologist gets it right about what riches in community feel like. Your favorite psychologist and mine, Uri Broffenbrenner, defines family. Like this, a family is a group which possesses and implements an irrational commitment to the well-being of its members. Paul prays, church, I want you to know how much God irrationally loves you. It doesn't make sense. And you know this, when you look around at his church, now at Mosaic, some of you are new, some of you have been here for a while, but no matter who you are, How long you've been here as best we can. I hope we never stop displaying that kind of irrational commitment toward one another and begin to fill the city with that kind of love. Hope of his calling, riches of his people. But there's a final resource here. Paul goes on and on about. It's the only one he elaborates on. It's this. He says, I want you to know and see his incomparably great power for us who believe. Now, right away, there's a mixed response to that. Some of you may be getting real nervous, like, Morgan, are you saying Paul wants us to know how much power the Christian church is supposed to have? Hmm? Like, how much power Christians are supposed to get? Isn't that what gets us all in trouble, right? Christians going after power? Well, it all depends on what that power is. Because if you're going after incomparably great political power, well, yeah, you're going to get in trouble. If you're a leader, any kind of business, education, and finance, and especially... In the church, and you go after great, incomparably great, positional power. That is what leads many times to abuses, scandals by clergy. It gets turned into Hulu docu series. So yeah, you'd get in trouble if you went after your own version of incomparably great political or positional power, but that's not what this is. Paul actually defines God's power for us. Here's what he says. He says, that power, ready, is the same as, would you say that phrase with me, is the same as, is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. So God's incomparably great power, he's saying, it looks like Jesus's death and resurrection. Is that what your definition of power looks like? See, America, we may compete with London, the banking capital of the world. We may compete with Japan for the financial capital of the world. We may compete with France for the fashion capital of the world. Don't look at West Texas. Thank you. All right. But for decades, America has been the power capital of the world. Have we not? It's been our national adult beverage of choice. And it's intoxicated many people, many groups. But Paul says God's power looks nothing like America's, nor does it look like power back in Ephesus in that day. Power looked like magic charms these people would have. Uh, Those were the ancient equivalent of modern-day palm readers or crystals or tarot cards. Those are all demonic ways to try to gain control to gain power over the future, but God's power looks nothing like our power today or their power then. No, God's power, Paul says, looks like two things, weakness and trust, weakness and trust. Let me show you what I mean. God's mighty power, his, in the Greek, hyperbolo, megatus dunamis, that's fun to say. <laughs> it looks like this, a man hanging on a tree, dying for his enemies, praying that God would forgive them as he cries out, God, where did you go? Why did you forsake me? What was he doing? What is Jesus doing? Here it is. Jesus was losing all his hope in his death so that we could have all hope in this life. He lost all his hope in death. We could have hope in this life. Jesus, the only son of his father who had all of heaven's inheritance, all his... Father's richness, the ultimate rich relational community. He lost it all, gave it away for us so that we could now have heaven's richness in us to give away to one another together, to create real, thick community and a kind of family, gospel family. God's power, in other words, is inverted upside down. It comes in through weakness and is released as we entrust ourselves, as we trust God who is able to bring about a resurrection. God's power looks like weakness and trust, death and resurrection. A number of years ago, for different reasons in this church, this, this church could rightfully have been listed with all the ones that you heard earlier at the beginning. This church had forgotten what church was supposed to be for. This, this church became about itself, promoted itself, didn't care about caring for the least of these or creating community. We could have been our own docu-series as well. More likely on a local public access cable station. Thank you. But God's got a way of getting the last word. He removed our previous leadership, put in a whole new team who began to do its best to lead through God's inverted power. And into that environment, Carrie and I agreed to come back to step into our current role. And things were challenging. They were super hard when we got here. And I remember praying right here on the front row during worship one morning. I prayed, God, why are we here? Here's what he said. you're here to see a death and a resurrection. The first service clapped at that. I'm not so sure why. Because if God ever says that to you, you might wanna hold on. Because just when things couldn't get any worse, we thought they did. The financial floor fell out from underneath us. All we could do was pray in weakness. See to replace a 30-year budget overnight is impossible, but God did it. God brought about a death and a resurrection here the same month we bottomed out. Someone called about leasing our other building, which is now our student center, an office building. If they had come 30 days later we would have had to either default on our loan or fire all the staff, but they didn't and we didn't because God did. He did. Now I share that not to say we've gotten it all right or we are all right. What I am trying to get you to do a little today is to dream with me. Dream with me. See, what was once almost dead, mostly dead, to quote a certain movie, filled one service, now two, now into three, now in a church plant in East Austin, a location down south, now in Fort Worth. Would you dream a little with me today and see, like Paul said, Jesus is above every ruler Every authority, not only in this age, but in the one to come. But most of all, I want you to dream and see this. The riches, the hope, the power. Hear me. It's what we already have. This is what we already have. All these things Paul prays for through what the Christian has already. They're like a the, like the pair of glasses. You got on the front of your face and you forgot about them. You walk around the house. Where are my glasses? Where are my glasses? Where are my glasses? Your roommate your kids say, Dad, they're on your face they're already right there would you see what you have in the gospel today if you'll see these things you'll never stay discouraged again you may get discouraged you won't stay there if you'll see these things you'll be able to prioritize the us and this you'll think you'll never think you'll never think i'm better off alone you are pretty great you're pretty great but god's richness comes in through the us and if you see this you'll be able to give up power become vulnerable Watch God's resurrection power flow through you. And if you're not a Christian today, this is where and how it begins. The inversion of the self, giving up self-power that God's new life can come in. Let me take a moment and pray for us as we begin to close. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for being here with us in such meaningful ways through your word, through your presence, through your spirit, through one another. Lord, I'm praying for hope to flood and fill every person's heart in this place. In Jesus' name, that's my prayer today. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.